Hello, and welcome to the Inspired Educator Podcast, where educators share insights to improve the educational experience. I'm your host, Dr. Yuling Li. On today's episode, I'm speaking to Nina Louie. Nina is a dear colleague, and she has expertise in assessment. In our wide-ranging conversation, we cover different perspectives about what it means to assess learning. Nina brings a refreshing voice and critique about traditional assessment methods, and instead she describes how we can be, quote, human in our assessment practices. Well, my name is Nina Pat-Louis. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <Welcome>. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my background in education mm-hmm. would be, uh, I've taught mostly in the middle school, mm. grade six and seven. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to high school and was a guidance counselor yeah. for about four years before I jumped ship and came to Trinity Western. <laughs> and I oversaw the career ed department mm. in the high school. So I was in charge, like, I was responsible for yeah, program development of the career life program. Yeah. And provided leadership for curriculum, like scope and sequence. And instead of meeting in a classroom environment, our classroom was either online using Google Classroom. Sometimes I taught in the auditorium. It was everywhere. And, you know, connecting with community members and bringing them in Mm. to support our students. So learning looked different in career ed than the traditional classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why the transition to higher ed? Why the trans... Well... Our dean <laughs> was a major influence. No, while I was working at in the high school, okay. I was moonlighting and teaching part-time in mm. the School of Education. My jazz is curriculum. Mm-hmm. So that was, I was teaching the 321 curriculum planning for the classroom course okay. since 2014. Mm. So I really enjoyed being part of this learning community mm-hmm. and... Being able to teach something that you love and passing on or transferring certain skills and abilities, that was a, a great privilege. And so the, when our former dean transitioned to a new role at the university, there yeah. were more opportunities to teach related courses mm-hmm. like assessment for learning mm-hmm. and continue teaching curriculum. And so the opportunity came and I applied. Mm. It, this is the better fit. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how do you find teaching I guess, pre-service teachers, like curriculum, I'm, I'm assuming curriculum theory, curriculum planning, or mm-hmm. assessment. Um, how is that perhaps compared to your own experience when you were going through teacher education, going through oh. school of ed? Yeah, okay, so first, I had a really great pre-service teacher ed experience yeah. because I was part of this problem-based learning cohort hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were part of, like, we had small cohorts. Yeah. So we were like a, a cohort of 27 students divided into three smaller groups. Mm. And every two weeks, we were presented with a case study that included, you know, philosophy, social justice, curriculum issues, or developmental issues. And we had to dissect that case together yeah. as a cohort. And then we would go off and do our independent research, come back, share our findings. Mm. So I found like there was a lot of space for exploration and discovery and Mm. being a self-motivated learner that design lended well to me. So for curriculum planning, I didn't have anyone teach me explicitly how to design a unit plan. Yeah. I have memories of figuring it out on my own. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> during pre-service, yes, like during the teacher ed program. It wasn't until I went to graduate school mm. that's where I was introduced to curriculum theories. Okay, and then that's where I began to critically think about what I am doing and how it's related to certain theories. Yeah, not in my teacher ed program. <laughs> so, do you find when you're you are now teaching curriculum planning? Um, theory and assessment, mm -hmm. it's kind of a mix of that? It's it, it is a bit of a mix. Okay. I always start the curriculum planning class by introducing some of the theories I learned in graduate school. Like right. I use the Shiro text. Of course. Mm -hmm. And we read that read aloud play, the story about children. Okay. And so it helps them see the theories come alive. Mm. And then I really encourage them to be mindful of the theories through their analysis of the BC curriculum, like mm. the redesigned curriculum. And then after they design their unit in their reflection, they have to comment and reflect back on how the theories presented itself yeah. in their own unit plans. Yeah, I'm unsure how deep the understanding is reached. Yeah. But at least they have some theories to position themselves of like, or explaining like why they are doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So from what I understand, your major focus in both research and, and praxis, of course, now is assessment. Yes. <laughs> and as teachers, yeah, that is such a, a huge area. So I, I'm not sure. It's too big. <laughs> it's too big. So I, I don't know what if you want to tackle like a specific area or... I can kind of share my journey sure, yeah, of why fine. I became super interested. That would be awesome. Okay. Uh, so prior to coming to Trinity, uh, I felt that I had a pretty good understanding of what assessment is. Okay. Sort of like assessment for learning, assessment of learning, assessment mm -hmm. as learning. But it remained at more of the technical, like how am I going to gather data? How am I going yeah. to determine a grade? Mm. And it wasn't until last year when I taught the assessment for learning course, Education 401, okay. where I discovered how much I didn't yet know myself. <laughs> and so I was doing a really deep dive. Like I was reading books by, uh, well, the Jan Shapui text. I was reading, um, I was rereading Damien Cooper's text. I was reading a lot. Okay. But my right now, what I am discovering is that through our assessment practices for me at least it's a way to show humanity hmm. can you elaborate what yeah um gathering stories of students with their own assessment journey okay many of them have expressed to me some of they've had some positive experiences okay but there have been more negative than positive, uh, than positive. Huh. and so you know Assessment should be optimistic and it should hold the promise of success. Okay. And maybe that wasn't the case in traditional assessment practices in mm. the past. There's a big shift that's happening. And I do agree with some authors, like we have to believe that all students can mm. and will learn and that this process is never ending. Mm -hmm. So with that belief, that really does shape how I approach my assessment practices Okay. in the class. Yeah, um, yeah Ken O'Connor, he's an assessment consultant. Okay. And he would say students and parents, well, in our context, students, right, they need to understand that achieving in school is not only about doing the work or accumulating points, that school is about learning. Hmm. 
So there, for me and my thinking, there's this big shift of instead of just collecting data to determine the final grade, mm-hmm. that was what I used to do. Mm-hmm. I've had a shift in thinking, like how could assessment for learning practices really promote learning? Mm. So can you give an example of, of that? Sure. Yeah, I can. I, and I have permission to share the story sure. from a student. They came to my assessment class and... I mean, the speed of university is so fast. Like, the mm-hmm. speed of learning is very quick. And I could tell by the, like, nonverbal cues mm-hmm. or in my observations or lack of participation and discussion mm-hmm. in class, I could tell that this student was either, you know, experiencing tension or something wasn't going well. Yeah. So I initiated the dialogue. And then I, I learned that the prerequisite course, the learning that took place in the prerequisite course, mm-hmm. they didn't experience success. So mm-hmm. they weren't as equipped to engage with course material mm-hmm. for 401. So the readiness mm-hmm. to engage with some of the summative assessments, they weren't ready. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if so by learning that, I had the choice. I could be responsive or just continue the path. Well, this is what the syllabus says. There's no flexibility. Mm-hmm. You have to do what everyone is doing. So I had to make the decision in consultation with that student. And we decided to <laughs> redesign okay. the assessment plan mm. for the student. And so pretty much needing to relearn what was missed in the prerequisite course mm. and to get the student to a place of readiness to engage with the summative. Mm. But the belief was... Okay, you're become, you've been successful in this program. Like, I believe that you can do this, mm-hmm. but there were certain things that needed to be scaffolded or retaught or relearned in order for this student to engage mm-hmm. with the learning that was taking place. That took majority of this semester, okay. but with a lot of patience and diligence. And the student was proactive. Like, mm-hmm. they weren't showing me signs of laziness or mm-hmm. non-engagement. They truly were no, I, I want to learn this, yeah. but I don't have the knowledge, the background knowledge or the skills to engage. Yeah. Um, that was a success story mm. that student wrote in their reflections through my own, like the professor's assessment practices, mm-hmm. um, that they experienced hope, that they experienced grace, mm-hmm. um, and that they would take that experience to their own practice to be more understanding of their future students. Yeah. Yeah, it's like knowing your students and hearing, being willing to hear the story. (laughs) And if they are willing to cooperate, um, being more flexible and adaptable. um, And yeah, being open to, yeah, the syllabus says this, but what does this student need Mm. in order to learn? Mm -hmm. That's really different Mm -hmm. from my own experiences with assessment. No, I really like that. And I liked how you initially framed it as, emphasizing the humanity yeah. um, portion of it. I do wonder what, I guess, in this new perspective, what if, say, uh, critics would would suggest, mm-hmm. you know, this this seems... Too soft. <laughs> not even too soft, like potentially even too much work. Like what if every single student necessitates this type of individualized approach, even though it's, it's very <clears throat> caring and meaningful, then, then what? Then... Yeah, okay, well... In the post-secondary setting, yeah. I've taught since 2014 mm-hmm. and no formal research. But if I had to reflect back mm-hmm. on the practice, I would say that majority of the students in the class mm-hmm. were able to engage with the design of the course. Okay. But there were maybe a small handful yes. of students 
who who face challenges. Okay. And so I've never experienced where the entire class yeah. needed it to be complete, like for the plan to be completely redesigned. Yeah. It's always been only a small handful. Yeah. So would you say kind of this perspective almost, um, to me, it almost readily lends itself to be kind of a universal design that can yeah. approach everyone or even a, an inclusive way to mm. to care for or to engage every single student. If it, it yeah, if it's a universal universal design for learning perspective, yeah. that plays a role when I'm creating the syllabus. Okay. And so when I'm designing or thinking of or ideating ways to capture student learning, yeah. then yeah, at the forefront of my mind I'm always asking myself would this be accessible to all? Mm. And then um, is it varied enough so that, you know, there's multiple ways for students to demonstrate what they know mm. and understand? And mm-hmm. um, the other one I think is a little bit more of like an inclusion mm-hmm. perspective where, yeah, this idea that um, fair doesn't always mean equal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then that we do have the autonomy and the freedom mm-hmm. to meet the needs of our learners. Mm-hmm. So it goes down, it, for me, it boils down to, am I, am I willing to, to mm-hmm. do this? Because yes, it is extra work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's extra work to meet yeah. multiple times. It's a lot of work to redesign. Yeah. Um, but for, it was worth it for me because I really wanted this student. It's th- one of the, their last courses in their degree program. Mm. They were accepted to the professional year. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was my responsibility Mm -hmm. (laughs) to ensure that the student left my class as a competent Mm. assessor. That's great. I I like how if that's the end goal, right, you want them to have the competencies um, and yet you're trying to care for their individuality, humanity Mm -hmm. and all that kind of comes together Mm -hmm. in in this way of assessing. That that sounds really good. Yeah. (laughs) Circling back to, I guess, assessment um in within the school settings so being human in our assessment practices how can you match that in light of kind of the realities of um, what's required because we still have this summative Mm -hmm. assessment that we have to assign grades by certain timetables okay so how do you match kind of what you have to do for me based on the readings that i've had Mm -hmm. there is space for both formative and summative you need both Mm -hmm. you still need both it's not just a you have to do this Mm. like the difference would be is okay continual intention and act of capturing learning in the moment Mm. and making inferences about the degree of a learner's understanding in relation to a goal over time okay so assessment is happening all the time like the moment that a student enters my classroom assessment is happening so it's it's mostly formative Mm -hmm. but at some point we need to verify in relation to the learning goals Mm. what the student is able to do or like what they know or what they understand Mm -hmm. and they need multiple feet like multiple forms of feedback they Mm -hmm. need it during the process of learning Mm -hmm. but at the end it's i just see summative as like a celebration of learning. Mm. So you've had all these experiences through the course yeah. and at the end it's like an opportunity for you to cumulatively like demonstrate all that you have learned. Yeah. But for me that that at the end like the grade doesn't say a whole like the letter grade doesn't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But from my own experiences they've received so much feedback and opportunities for them to like self-reflect and self-assess. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> Yeah, the grade is there because we have to submit a grade. Mm-hmm. 
But I hope that the students in my class aren't defining yeah. who they are based on that letter grade. In <coughs> fact, it's been really interesting. Like a lot of students, they haven't even come back for their final assessment of a unit plan. They've had multiple iterations mm. and they've had moments to conference with me. Yeah, and I even had a student comment on their final reflection. This grade, they, I wanted them to self-assess and if they had to give a grade, what, what would they give themselves? Mm -hmm. And they communicated that this was unnecessary, that the learning that happened in the course was immeasurable mm -hmm. um, and that this wasn't even necessary. Like it didn't matter yeah. to them, that the grade didn't matter mm -hmm. because of the learning that took place in the course. Yeah. Yeah, or even students reflecting and saying to me how... Yeah, instead of focusing on the final grade during this course, I, for the first time, I focused on the learning journey. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah. Huh. But that was the power of assessment for learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you just mentioned it briefly here, but you mentioned how for one of your courses, you did a final self-assessment mm -hmm. type of... Um... <laughs> yeah, I wanted to include their voice when I determined their final, I just wanted to gain their perspective. Okay. And that is happening in the K-12 system. Hmm. Some teachers, at the, because the 101 point percentage scale that the K-12 system uses, mm -hmm. what is the difference between an 85 and an 86? Mm. So a lot of teachers are conferencing with their students and kind of like negotiating the grade. But here we have a pretty clear criterion reference, like letter grade with descriptors. Mm. And I've been consistently using that. Like I, I provide that criteria mm. for most of my summative assessments. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to gauge, well, if they were to predict their final letter grade, mm. what would they predict based on the learning they demonstrated to me? Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time it was very close. And then some didn't chose not to engage. I made it optional. Mm. Were there examples of, of students who were totally off the mark? No. Okay. No. So even, say, really, really high-achieving students were, were pretty close, but then also perhaps lower or, you know, not the best-achieving students, they understood that, yes, I perhaps I didn't yeah. do as well. And it, it provided them, like, a final opportunity to voice out mm. a perspective that I wouldn't have been able to gauge. Mm. Can you give an example with yeah. someone who struggled um, and, and could give oh voice man. to that? I don't have that example in front of me. Sure. But I do remember students saying, voicing out to me that, you know, they really did make an effort to understand the material and apply it to their courses, like apply it to their assignments. Um, sometimes they were surprised by the outcome of, let's say, past assignment so it, it was just like a final opportunity to, mm -hmm. to say whatever they wanted to communicate mm. with me overall i don't know if i would do it again okay i don't know if i would do it at the time of the exam like it would be more like before the final okay final exam yeah but my my practices shifted more towards like having more of an iterative conversation about mm. their learning that they don't seem to be too surprised mm by the final outcome. Mm -hmm. In fact, I had zero students <laughs> mm. rebuttal their final grade. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and that was the very first, like, I've never had that. I've In the past, I've had students yeah. rebuttal and I would always welcome that conversation. Yeah. But this past year, I had none. Mm. Is that interesting? That's really good. Yeah. Um, I wanted to respond to 
the previous question sure. too that you asked me about assessing like I find at the university level that final grade is typically about academic growth mm. right and I'm kind of moving more towards standards-based grading okay. practices and so I do value um we assess academic growth, we assess behaviors, we assess abilities to apply strategies to new learning experiences. And and it's like, we are also seeing if they are complying mm. to our requests. Um, we assess willingness to take risks and their ability to work well with others. But I'm moving towards separating those evaluations. Mm. Yeah, so I really want the final evaluation to be reflective of their learning against the learning outcomes of the course. Okay. And I'm moving towards having a separate evaluation for behavior, like professional, in our context, it would be professional behavior. Okay. So I don't want my viewpoint of their professional behavior, things like coming to class late or missing late work, having an impact on their final grade, that I want their grade at the end okay. be a very clear measure as possible about what we are assessing, which are the learning outcomes. I want it to reflect their achievement in relation to the course learning outcomes. Mm. So can you explain um, how you would assess these other, like the professional side versus mm -hmm. the standards and how would that overall contribute to, I, I don't know, like their overall assessment? Is that what you're doing now? Like combining the yeah, standards so in and the professional? Yeah, like so in the, in the policies, it's if they submit an assignment a day late, they're punished Mm -hmm. um, you know, docking marks like minus 10% or yes. minus 20%. Mm -hmm. So instead of using grades to punish mm -hmm. or reward behavior, mm -hmm. I want the grade to be a reflection of the learning regardless of the behavior. Okay. And then on a separate evaluation, like I need to create this myself, mm -hmm. but on a self and a separate evaluation form, um, there will be things like, you know, submitting assignments on time, mm. showing up for class consistently, mm. but using more of a frequency scale. Okay. And then having the students, not at the end of the course, but maybe like midpoint of the course yeah. to self-assess how they're doing professionally, like their behavior. Mm. And then at the end, having a final self-assessment and then for me to give them my perspective mm. of how they did. The research does show, assessment research, mm -hmm. that behavior is correlated to academic achievement. Mm. So I don't feel now that it's necessary for me to penalize. Yeah. And it, it's already going to happen. Yeah. Now, that's what the research says. Okay. So then I just want, I, I'm moving towards the grade being reflective of truly their learning, achievement of learning in relation to the learning goals. Yeah. And having a separate document that's communicating how they're doing professionally. Yeah. What's interesting to me is is um, also being part of the School of Education, um, we do assess both. We right? do. But perhaps most students don't know that or they don't or they presume that within the final grade is this kind of nebulous combination. Concept. Yes, combination of both. Of, of both. Um, but we do, you know, when we decide whether they can move on into their professional year or even before that, right? Into right. Their third or fourth year, we do assess how professional they are potentially as pre-service teachers. And then I find it interesting that if or when many of these students do become teachers, clearly they are not assessed 
academically anymore maybe maybe in some weird fashion but they are now assessed all the Professional. time professionally mm-hmm. so i think there's something there that would be interesting to discuss like yeah and the reason why i'm doing that is i do want to be upfront yeah. and transparent about their learning goals mm-hmm. so i'm acknowledging that in this program or in the courses that they're with me mm. it's not only academic growth that's that's one huge factor mm. but there are these professional attributes mm. that we are trying <laughs> to teach and mm. instill in them but it's hard to kind of reach a goal unless they see it like it's hard to reach a target unless yeah. they see it or receive some feedback so yeah. to me it's pretty low stakes in a second third year course yes. <laughs> where they could oh Okay, here's a perfect example. I We had this conversation in my fourth year assessment class. Okay. And after we had this conversation, I had students come up to me to explain why they were tardy. Mm. Legitimate reasons. Mm. I didn't know the reason for it. So it just opened up space for more dialogue mm-hmm. and for them to understand like, oh yeah, the, it's not just my final learning outcome of this course, but mm-hmm. I'm also mm-hmm. developing as a professional, which comes with expected behavior. Yeah, because I imagine, say, when these students are teachers, if during their time here, they are always tardy, perpetually tardy, clearly you cannot do that as a a professional, as a teacher. Um, And do we assume that they can just, you know, switch it on and off and and all of a sudden become this professional Mm -hmm. who's never tardy? So that would be helpful. Yeah, I want to be more intentional about... To build that... Or to be really clear about the professional standards okay. as well. So they, th- they can identify their strengths yeah. and areas that they need to grow in yeah. and giving them opportunities to self-assess that growth as well. So when you come up with these standards or some kind of rubric, you have to <laughs> send them my way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I can use it too. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Any love- type of assessment practices do you think are especially helpful for our students to be made aware of to to even like engage in and start using Mm. as their pre-service teacher journey right now Mm. what do you mean by that no because i i imagine most of them they intuitively understand that okay this is how i'm going to assess i'm going to do this formative and then summative but i'm wondering if there is i don't know simple things that you can help them begin to understand okay yeah these might be helpful Things so to think about. in the class, the in the assessment class that they take in fourth year, yeah. I'm mostly working with pre-service teachers who hope to teach in middle school and high school. Okay, not necessarily technique, like the kind of assessment that they will design based on the readings. It really depends on the learning goal. Mm. So number one would be like we use these, we call them keys to quality assessment and it's from our primary text in the course. Um, And so they, our students and even myself, I'm learning that we have to have a clear purpose. Mm. So that will determine whether the assessment strategy is going to be formative or summative Mm. and how they're going to use it, what information and what detail is required. And then after the purpose has been clarified, they take these big standards, the provincial standards, mm. and they learn to like deconstruct them into student-friendly learning targets, mm. which after my own learning, they're like the building blocks of learning. Mm-hmm. And the targets, I hope to move towards our student teachers being uh, more mindful of which targets will demonstrate um, the pr- like 
proficiency of the complete learning standards. Mm. So not all targets need to be assessed summatively. Mm -hmm. Like some of those deconstructed targets are the building blocks or the stepping stones towards proficiency of the complete rich learning standards. And then based on the type of targets, that will determine method Mm. or form of assessment. So for example, if it's like on the depth of knowledge scale, if it's like level one knowledge, factual knowledge, well, you can easily assess that using a multiple choice (laughs) (laughs) or a traditional test. But then when students have to like demonstrate reasoning abilities Mm -hmm. or being able to apply specific skills Mm -hmm. or analytical skills or creativity, well, that aim is different. That type of target is going to dictate the design of the assessment strategies that the pre-service teachers will need to think Mm -hmm. about for their students. Mm -hmm. Same for us. Um, And then the sound design. Yeah, that that piece, like do the assessment methods match the learning targets? Mm. And then do I sample well enough so that um, the sample represents learning appropriately? And are items, tasks, and scoring rubrics of high quality? Mm. And I would say that that's an area of growth for many, many people. Like even for myself, I'm learning like, wow, I wasn't really ever taught to write or or create a a high quality rubric. I want to spend more time learning how to do that Mm -hmm. as well. Mm. And even in the province, like they... A, a voice for assessment is Tom Shimmer, okay. and he's all about task-neutral rubrics. Okay, can you explain that? Yeah, like a task-neutral rubric would be a rubric designed based on the learning outcomes of a subject matter or course yeah. so that you could use this rubric for all different types of assessment strategies. Oh, I see. And really saying like through this like method of say if it was a paper or a video or a pod, whatever method it is, mm-hmm. you know, through that means of assessment, the learning is going to be demonstrated. Mm-hmm. So it's really ensuring that I'm summatively assessing the learning outcomes mm-hmm. versus the type of assignment. Yeah. So I'm kind of interested in developing some of those. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would also prevent me from creating hundreds of rubrics yes. <laughs> for specific <laughs> assignments, but also help me ensure that I'm assessing appropriately. And the other key is, can the assessment results be used to guide instruction? So that's more formative, right? And do the formative assessments function as effective feedback? So that deals with like timeliness, opportunities for peers to work together, give each other feedback. And yeah, do the grades communicate achievement accurately? And so then there's this quote, it's like, a grade should give as clear a message as possible of the best a student can do, um, be crystal clear about what we are assessing, and assess it using concise criteria so teachers, students, or the stakeholders know what is being explored and what proficiency looks like when it happens. Mm. And the last one is student involvement. Do the assessment practices meet students' information needs? Are the learning targets clear to them? Mm. Like they are for us. It's it's in the syllabi, but is it like resurfaced at different times in the course? Yeah. Yeah. And is it connected? Like are our assessments practices connected to the learning goals of our course? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I find that's especially challenging being in broadly like the arts and humanities because say even if you do have explicit learning outcomes or, or standards or whatever they may be, and they are listed in in our syllabi, mm-hmm. um, 
it's still there's still so much subjectivity yeah so i'm also very interested in can we construct or or design some kind of rubric that can be more comprehensive yeah so the students understand all right this is what they are aiming for Mm -hmm. when they are yeah If I reflect, I still think um, the communication of what proficiency looks like is unclear Okay. for me. That's an area of growth for me, hmm. is that I have a list of learning outcomes, mm-hmm. but what does it really mean to be proficient mm-hmm. in achieving those outcomes? Hmm. That's an area of growth. I've been challenged hmm. from my readings yeah. to be more clear about that. Yeah. I'm pretty clear about my how I want to assess formatively. Like that's more of an organic process. Yeah. There's like multiple strategies for whole group, small group, individual, huh. based on the target. Okay. But I think I need to be more clear about what proficiency looks like yeah. for each of those outcomes. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the number of outcomes there are in a course. Okay. Maybe it's better to have less than so many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, we'll definitely have to have a conversation about just purely formative and how do you think through all the different ways ways and factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in my class, it could be a self-assessment handout yeah. where I'm asking questions like, where are you Where are you now with our learning? Yeah. You know, or do you understand where we're going? Yeah. And if there are gaps and how do we need to close the gap? Not necessarily me telling them how to close the gap, mm-hmm. but also like inviting the students into that dialogue as well. Mm. I use some ed tech tools mm-hmm. in my class. Like I use Socrative okay. quite often. Uh, I was introduced to it by the Google Apps for Education Summit that mm-hmm. I attended, and it's free. Okay. <laughs> and I could pose questions. I can collect feedback. Just gauge, like, where are you at with the learning from today's class? Mm-hmm. Like immediate feedback. Um, I could also hide their names anonymously so that I can make some of their learning more visible in mm-hmm. the class. Uh, and then I, what I love about it is because they do submit their names, I could go back Mm. and reread their responses and just think about the individual. Mm. And then I also use Mm menti.com. We use it in our academic business meetings. (laughs) I use it in classes too, just to form word clouds or if they're like in a curriculum planning class, they're learning how to write these types of learning targets. So then if it's a very skill specific learning outcome, Mm. they'll submit an exemplar Mm -hmm. anonymously and I'll splash it in front of the class and Mm. then we'll kind of have a dialogue and do peer review Mm. and give feedback to anonymously Mm -hmm. to people. And that's a a very efficient way of giving immediate feedback Mm. for a skill that they're learning Mm. that's new. Yeah. Yeah. Versus waiting until they submit an assignment for grading, they're getting it during class time. Yeah, that's helpful. Any other tools that you're especially fond of? Oh, I like the use of our, our vertical space in the classroom. Okay. So there are many, many whiteboards in yeah. the class upstairs. And yeah, I use that to make thinking visible, like for collaborative work. And it helps me to use that vertical space just to quickly get a snapshot of where they're at in their learning. Hmm. So how often do you think you would, quote, try and get a snapshot of their learning? Like, is it almost every class? Or? Every class, every class okay. I'm aiming for making thinking visible. Okay. I'm not an expert at it, but that is a goal of mine is that at, by the end of each class or during the, the class, I'm getting snapshots of learning so that I can gauge what was misunder- any. I'm checking for conceptual understanding. Mm. I'm checking for skill development. And where do I need to reteach? It informs my next class. Mm. Yeah, but I understand in, in higher ed there's a time crunch, and I'm only I only see them two and a half hours a week, yeah. and the speed of learning is <laughs> super fast. But even that, I was really challenged. 
Um, I remember one time in my office, I was reading the self-assessments. Okay. And in my own reflective time, without the student feedback, yeah. I was assuming that we were moving too slow. Okay. After reading the student feedback, yeah. for them, they were communicating to me that I was going too fast. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't have known that unless I asked for their feedback hmm. early on in the yeah. semester. And so I'm just realizing sometimes my predictions or my observations or the way I'm interpreting them, they're off. Hmm. And they become more accurate when I can hear from the students hmm. directly. So when you're sol soliciting the, the self-reflection piece, is that like a handout? It's a, yeah, it's a okay. handout. And it could be a Google form. Sure. But I created a, a quick handout. One side listed some of the concepts we were learning so far. Yeah. And I just gave them a scale of, I think it's like on my way or I got it. Or it was, it was like they had an opportunity to tell me where they were at. Yeah. And on the back, it was more like short responses, like short answer responses. Yeah. And we were heading into a more like a design-based summative. Mm. And I wanted to gauge if they felt ready. And so it was an opportunity for them to tell me like, I'm ready to apply my learning mm. um, to design their own assessment strategies for their practicum. Mm -hmm. And it was also an opportunity for them to tell me like, we need to be, re they needed a reteaching mm -hmm. of a specific concept. Mm. So are you, yeah. are you going to do that more often? Yes. So <laughs> it was so insightful. <laughs> <laughs> how frequent do you think it would, would be helpful? Like, well, at the beginning of a semester? course, yeah. I always do like a diagnostic. Okay. Whether Sometimes we use like a Lego sure. or pictures a diagnostic, a pre-assessment of what they already know. Yes. And then probably like a quarter way through the semester, I'm going to provide the handout. Okay. And I'm not going to collect it multiple times. Like I only did it once yeah. during that assessment class, but this year I'm going to aim for at least two times yeah. during the semester. During yeah. the semester. Okay. It was really helpful. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I did that in my previous courses where probably halfway through I, I do another formal not formal, but some kind of handout to see how they're doing. And then I look at it to, to track where they're going. Mm -hmm. But maybe two, three times or even informally trying yeah. to figure out. Yeah. And then in my reflection, I was analyzing my own assignments. And yeah. uh, one of my teacher evaluation comments, yeah. I learned that the design of the assessment could be a barrier too. Okay. So I'm looking back at the details of some, of, I, I mean, I've adopted and I was give, like I inherited yeah. lots of examples and yeah, like even like things like white space or simplifying language. Mm. And some of my students felt it was overwhelming. Like they couldn't even approach it because it, there are too, too many details. Mm. So that's in my mind too. So I want to go back and simplify mm. <laughs> some of the instructions, have more white space mm -hmm. on the paper. And I also really want to check and see that the design of the assessment strategy mm -hmm. will truly capture mm. the desired learning. Okay. Yeah. So against the, the outcomes again, yeah. like if they do this, will it show me what I'm hoping to see? Yes. Yeah. Cool. That's an area that I want to, yeah, because after I examined it, I realized like, oh, I don't think I captured all the learning outcomes that I hope to capture. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is well, that helpful? <laughs> no, no, very. I, I think we'll have to continue this conversation. <laughs> I okay. mean, we can talk about formative some other time, like in, yeah. in more detail. And I know you barely spoke about kind of the research that you're potentially doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So we'll have to discuss that. Um, so I, I guess just to wrap up for this episode, okay. um, any type of readings or learnings or theory in assessment or anything else that you've been 
you found mm-hmm. particularly helpful for yeah. this discussion? Yeah, I created a website for this reason. Okay. Lots of people ask me, like, what are you reading? And I decided to make a website and share. Awesome. So if you go onto my website, www.ninapaklui.com, mm-hmm. if you click on the resource button, mm-hmm. I've curated like my top 10 books awesome. um, that people could consider. Yeah. But right now, uh, right this summer, I read um, Standards-Based Learning by Tom Shimmer and two other authors and Katie White, Softening the Edges. Okay. Like the audience was for K-12, but I find the assessment theory is universal. Yeah. And maybe on another episode, I could talk about my research yes. more in depth, but I'm quite interested in transferring and applying these assessment philosophies that's happening in K-12 mm. in the higher education setting and just to, just to see what kind of impact it has mm. on learners. So far, it's been super successful. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to capture that more and share that out publicly. No, that's great. Yeah. Because it, it almost feels as if, say, higher ed assessment is just kind of... It's mostly summative. <laughs> yeah, and, and definitely very dated almost, right? The way that we're, we're doing assessment. Yeah. I'm rethinking. There's like a paradigm shift happening okay. in my thought process with assessment. That's a new thing for me too. Mm. And I'm wanting to test it out a bit in higher ed and so far it's been well received and students have really appreciated multiple ways to showcase their learning, Mm. um, having their voices heard and giving them choice Mm. and some agency. Yeah. Yeah. So far so good. (laughs) Hope it continues. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for this. This was an awesome conversation and we'll have to do it again. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for having me, Ling. Thank you. A special thank you to Nina Louie for such a delightful conversation. This episode is brought to you by SOED, the School of Education at Trinity Western University. Until next time, may you be inspired in your educational journey.